You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are in this series called Navigating the Storms, and each week we're going to touch on a different storm that hits home for all of us. This is one this week that all of us, every one of us, every age group, this one affects us. It blows in and wreaks havoc, and I promise uh, you're going to really relate to the message today. Doug is going to be bringing the message to us today, and Doug has been super passionate about this topic for a lot of years. You're going to hear a little bit of his testimony and stuff, but I just want you to know that he has poured in uh, literally probably thousands of hours into research and preparation and has written a book on the subject um, and it is something that he cares deeply about. And so we're going to be um, blessed to hear about this topic from somebody that is um, really passionate and prepared about it. But also what you may not know about Doug, you'll get to know some of the other cool stuff about him and his background. But what you might not know is Chris uh, Wilson, our worship leader, Doug has the blessing of being his father-in-law and uh, among other things. And so I'll let him... Uh, tell you the rest of the story. So enjoy. Thank you so much, Thad. It's such an honor to be able to share with you guys this morning. And, and yeah, it's just, I'm super blessed to be Chris's father-in-law, Mariah's dad, and Evan's, uh, one of Evan's, Evan's grandparents. And as I, as I think about that, I am super grateful for this church. Uh, my wife, Lanita, and I, we, um, we just moved here to be closer to them, but we, ha- we share four daughters all together. They're all grown and married and doing wonderful things, and we're super proud of them. Uh, but, I'm <clears throat> but I'm particularly super grateful for this church because many of you showed up at 5 a.m. at the church office on the day that Evan was born, and you prayed. And there was a, it was a wonderful time of prayer. And I know you've been praying longer than that ever since we learned that what Chris talked about was that, you know, how, how Evan has a heart condition and he needed lots of prayer. Well, as a result of all those prayers, he is doing better than people, anyone expected. And there's been wonderful prayer after prayer answered. Certainly he's still, there's still a lot going on. And we, so we certainly value your prayers, but I just wanted to at least take this moment, the first time I'm able to share with you and thank you. Thank you, especially for praying. And for those of you who came at 5 a.m. that, that cold, that, uh, that morning in a pandemic, wearing masks and all the things, I just was such a blessing, and it really, really blessed our family. So thank you so much. I could and I could take the whole rest of the hour and talk about Evan, but I probably shouldn't do that because you're here to you're here to hear about screen addiction because it's Valentine's Day, right? And it's super romantic to talk about screen addiction. I'm gonna <clears throat> and uh, that's that's exactly what you want to hear about. Actually, as I thought about it, though. Uh, Maybe this will help next year's Valentine's Day. If you can overcome a few things on your screens this year, next Valentine's Day might be even better for you. So here's hoping to that. So, but I wanted to acknowledge that as, for sure. So as I mentioned, um, my wife and I, we've got four daughters all together. I've been a dad a long time. Um, I've also been a Bible student a long time, by the grace of God. And I have been a software developer for 25 years. And those three things have blended together, together to give me, I think, a unique perspective as I've watched with all of us as screens have just taken over our lives. You might not remember, though, that some of you might not remember that the iPhone's only been out since 2007. It seems like now there's billions and billions of them and billions of other devices all around us. And it's like they've always been here, but they haven't always been here. They've taken over our lives in such a quick amount of time. How did that happen? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I, 
I want to, I mean, especially one of the things I noticed was that I personally was being pulled in as soon as I, as soon as they came on the scene and as soon, and even as a software developer, I felt myself pulled in by all kinds of things. And I have a story about overcoming pornography to share. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Um, That's part of the storm. That isn't our subject today. Uh, because our problem with screens is bigger than pornography. That's certainly a part of it. But today, the, um, I'm going to be talking about the subject of screen addiction writ large. Screen addiction writ large. A lot of scholars use that term writ large, and I always really wanted to use it uh, in a talk, so you're welcome for that. <clears throat> I don't exactly know what it means, but it really sounds cool. So, um, But I'm sure you've noticed that we're not just in a storm of of screens, we're actually really in a tsunami of screens. And the effect that it's having on some of us really does feel like we're getting blown away. And it's much, much bigger than any of us. It's certainly much bigger than me. And so I'd really appreciate it if you'd pray with me first before I, I go further. Let's, let's just open in prayer. Lord, you are gracious and good. You know how much prayer has gone into the things you've set me free from, as well as putting together the book and this message. And Lord, you know that I'm nothing without you. And so we, Lord, together, this family here and online, we agree together to invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, as you know, I have a plan, but you're welcome to interrupt that plan. You're welcome to have me say something that someone needs to hear that is orchestrated by you. So, Lord, please get me out of the way. Please work in these families in the way that you would like to, Lord. And um, we invite you to have your way, and we love you. In Jesus' name. All right, thank you. I would like to ask you a few questions just as we get started, but with absolutely no shame. I just want to help us understand that we're all in this together. Don't raise your hands yet. Just as I read these questions out, just think about it a little bit, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk about it further. But I just have four questions to have you think about, just to have a yes or no, in, just inside. And those of you at home, as you're sitting next to someone, don't elbow somebody, you know, just be thinking about, just think about these, but... So how many of you have had, just as you think about it, how many of you have, have had a conflict with someone else where a screen was somewhere in the middle? A conflict over a screen. Think about that. How many parents have regretted getting some screen for their kids? Whether it's a mobile device or a video game, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about that. How many of you have actually had screen time cause real harm? Either in yourself or in someone else that you're close to or seen it cause real harm? And uh, the last question is, how many of you have ever been fubbed? Fubbed. P-H-U-B-B-E-D, fubbed. Um, yeah, that's a new word. I actually learned this new word when I was being interviewed by a, uh, a 16-year-old homeschool student who was dual enrolled in a college English class. And her family had purchased my book at a conference that I was speaking at a while ago, and she was all in on the message. And so she was interviewing me for a paper she was writing on the subject, get the subject here, she was making the case of why minors should not have mobile devices. <clears throat> and that usually takes the air out of the room as the people think about that. Like, how is that possible? It's possible. It's actually really cool. Um, but she got it. And she was asking me about it. And we were talking about this. But she taught me this word, fubbing, phone snubbing, the conjunction of phone and snubbing. It's the idea that someone's more interested in their phone than they're interested in the real world around them, or in particularly you at that moment. It's the families in the restaurant where all the families are there and they're all on their phones, they're not interacting with another. Or even worse, it's the parents and the kids are playing, but the, kids, the, the parents are on their phones, right? They're fubbing their kids. 
Or it's the, um, the teens in their bedrooms fubbing their family and the rest of the world by, by being on their phones all the time. And the real world, they're, they're, they're ignoring the real world in favor of the virtual one. So I've asked you these four questions, whether you've had a conflict, whether you're a parent with regrets over screens, whether you've seen real harm due to screens, or if you've been fubbed. And uh, now if you want to raise your hands, if you've had one of those things happen in your life, raise your hand. If you, in any one of those, okay, so almost everybody in the room is raising their hand. We all can relate to this. If you've had two or, two or more, two or more of those things. Okay, lots of people. And at home, same thing. So we're all in this. We all need to hear this. And by the grace of God, we're going to um, make some progress today. So... Um, did you know that the latest stats show, the latest stats just from 2020, um, evaluated in 2021, show that the average adult spends, an average again, eight hours a day consuming digital media of some kind. This is non-work time, entertainment media, digital media. This is, the way this happens typically uh, is that we do this by multitasking, like we're binging Netflix while we're scrolling Facebook. So that counts as, as like, uh, combined into that time, that eight-hour number. So that's the average. And most teens, the average teen spends six to ten hours a day on some form of entertainment screens. So my question is, how did we get to a place where we're spending more than the equivalent of a full-time job, and sometimes maybe more than, way more than a full-time job, consuming media on our screens? Because how many of you, when you, when you were thinking about what you wanted to be grow- when you grew up, like, when I grow up, I hope that someday I can grow up and give my most personal data to the biggest corporations in the world. How many of you thought that? Or, or man, when I grow up, what I really, really want to do is I want to give Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, all the most intimate details of my life for the equivalent of a full-time job. Or some of you, may, did, when you wanted to grow up, did I really, really want to grow up and, and make Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, a multi-billionaire where, while I binge watch whatever he decides that it's important for me to binge watch today? Most of us didn't really set out to do this, did we? It happened by accident. I'll tell you how it happened. It actually is reflected in the title of my book, which is called Unintentional. Unintentional. How screens secretly shape your desires and how you can break free. Because the fact is, is that the tech companies became the most powerful and influential companies in the world by being a lot more intentional with our lives than we are. They know what we don't know. And what they're doing is on purpose, and we don't mean to. And that's why there's no shame in this, right? We're doing this, but we didn't set out to do it. What we need to do, though, is how to figure out how to overcome it. And so we unintentionally spend more time on screens than we do nearly anything else. Sleeping, working, relating, building new skills, skills, and most importantly, praying, growing closer to Christ, fulfilling our God-given purpose, and helping others find freedom too. And this is how intentional Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Snap, the maker of Snapchat, and Epic, the maker of Fortnite, and ByteDance, the Chinese maker of TikTok, are with our time. Their entire business model is built on us spending more time on our platforms, on their platforms. So how do they get us to do that? Well, here's how they do it. They exploit weaknesses in our behavioral psychology and they manipulate us. They hire top behavioral psychologists, neuroscientists, data scientists, and an army of tech people to spend billions of dollars and millions of hours figuring out what works on us. They run experiments on us. So 
so that they can figure out how to make us spend more time on their apps. And they are really, really good at it, obviously, because we were all able to raise our hands and able to know that it's working, right? They've done such a good job that their products are really just as addictive as drugs or alcohol or any other substance, literally. When they look at the brain scans of people who are truly addicted to screens and who are addicted to these other substances, they find the brain scans look very similar. And in my book and in other talks, I give a lot more details, but that isn't, isn't really fit for a Sunday morning, and so you're welcome on that too. Um, <clears throat> but um, the bottom line is we're spending so much time on screens because they have programmed us, programmed us to want to do that. They've shaped our desires. So you might say, says who? You're just Evan's grandpa. What do you know? <clears throat> well, I tell you what, that's pretty good credentials. Um, but if you don't believe me, I have a few experts to share. Uh, the first one is uh, Dr. Douglas Gentile. He was skeptical, too, about whether screens could be addictive. He's a world-renowned expert on the effects of screens on children, teens, and adults. He's a research scientist, author, and a professor of developmental psychology at Iowa State University. And he's been doing extensive long-term studies about the impacts of technology for more than 20 years. When he started his research into video game addiction over 20 years ago, he was a skeptic. He said he felt that parents who complained of their kids' gaming only meant, well, my kid plays a lot, and I don't understand why. Because an addiction is more than just doing something a lot. An addiction is doing something that causes harm in a way that does damage to some area of your life. But after years of study, Dr. Gentile was no longer skeptical. He ended up influencing the World Health Organization to add gaming disorder into their official list of diseases. Other experts agree that screens are truly addicting. Clinical psychologist and author Dr. Richard Fried said in a recent talk, and this breaks my heart to think about this, that a good percentage of the young women he sees in psych wards are there because of something to do with phone addiction. He now sees grade school girls who are harming themselves. They are so depressed, something he's never seen before. He sees boys who are failing in school, failing to launch, or who are even violent to their families or themselves. This is the tragic fruit of bona fide addiction. Dr. Freed says this. He says, millions of children, teens, and adults in the U.S. and worldwide now suffer from video game and internet addiction. He goes on to say, in my work... As a child and adolescent psychologist, it's abundantly clear that the symptoms children and teens experience fit the classic definition of addiction, continued use in spite of ser serious negative consequences. Because screens, and especially social media and video games, are truly addictive. Like I say, in other talks, I do give more details about neurotransmitters like dopamine, and there's, there's all kinds of things, but I don't have time for that. My book does go into a whole lot more detail, and I'm going to share more about that at the end. But here's what you need to know. This is the bottom line I want you to get from this so far, is that the industry is doing all of this on purpose. Here's a couple of quick quotes about the tech industry's intentionality from their own mouths. They've been admitting this, so they go and do all this stuff, and then they go on book tours and they share what they've done and kind of confess a little bit, but they're, they're not too ashamed of being millionaires or billionaires as a result. But here's one. A 2018 interview in New York Magazine with early Facebook investor Roger McNamee. McNamee says, this is how he, this is, he's saying this about Facebook, but all the social media does this the same. This is, this is just this particular example. 
They're basically trying to trigger fear and anger to get the outrage cycle going because outrage is what makes you be more deeply engaged. You spend more time on the site and you share more stuff. Therefore, you're going to be exposed to more ads and that makes you more valuable. In 2008, when Facebook put their first app on the iPhone, the whole ballgame changed. Suddenly, the dream of a universal platform reaching everybody through every medium was achieved, achieved by a single device. You literally have a persuasion engine unlike any created in history. Did you hear that? Persuasion engine. They're using a persuasion engine on a global scale backed by the most powerful and modern science and technology. Here's another one. Facebook director of monetization from 2006 to 2010. This is actually a job. Director of monetization. Tim Kendall testified before Congress on uh, September, just back in this past September, 2020. His admissions are stunning and incriminating. Here's what he says. We sought to mine as much attention as humanly possible to turn into historically unprecedented profits. To do this, we didn't simply create something useful and fun. We took a page from Big Tobacco's playbook, working to make our offering addictive at the outset. In his testimony, which you can go and look up, um, you can, you'll, what he talks about is the intentionally addictive practices of the tobacco industry, how they added sugars and menthols and manipulation of the body to make their products intentionally more addicting. And then he added, he added this. At Facebook, just like Big Tobacco, we added status updates, photo tagging, and likes, which made status and reputation primary and laid the groundwork for a teenage mental health crisis. Adults too, I would say. He goes on and says, social media preys upon the most primal parts of your brain. The algorithm maximizes your attention by hitting you repeatedly with content that triggers your strongest emotions. It aims to provoke and shock and enrage. These algorithms have brought out the worst in us. They've literally rewired our brains so that we're detached from reality and immersed in tribalism. This is not by accident. It's an algorithmically optimized playbook to maximize user attention and profits. Mark Zuckerberg is the fifth richest person in the world right now. So how does it make you feel that you and your families are being manipulated, harmed, held back from your God-given callings and filled with conflict and strife and sometimes worse, all because a predatory industry wanted to make money at your expense? I'm hoping it's going to stir you and motivate you enough to be willing to maybe make some significant countercultural changes as a result. So here's something important that I want us to understand because we are a discipleship-focused church. We are all about discipleship and helping people know and become like Jesus. We are being discipled. And our kids are especially being disciples, but not in the ways that, our, that their Christian parents hope out there in the world. The companies who make social media and video games and video streaming apps know what God taught Moses 3,500 years ago in Deuteronomy 6 in the passage just after the Shema that Alex taught us a few weeks ago. Here's what Deuteronomy 6 says. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when? When you sit in your house and when you talk by, walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
great advice, isn't it? It's great advice for discipleship if you have a positive message like growing in Christ. But this is exactly what our culture does to us too, isn't it? Though with different content than God had in mind. What do most people do when they sit at home or when they drive around or before they go to sleep or as soon as they wake up? What do they wear on their hands or what do they keep in front of their faces? What's hanging on our walls? Can you see the uncomfortable parallels? Little ouchy moment. In my book, I turn Deuteronomy 6 into a verb. They are Deuteronomy 6-ing us. Because there isn't a more effective way to change a family or a nation or a world. Every day, morning until night, eating, sleeping, traveling, hanging out with friends, working, implants a message on everyone's heart. And what do our screens want us to have in our heart? The latest political crisis, right? Celebrity gossip. Bitcoin prices today. The end of the world. Vulgar music videos, for sure. What she looks like now. How many followers or likes you have? Certainly pornography. Or a video game-powered retreat from all that noise into a different world. Either way, if you are not intentionally choosing and filtering and ordering what comes, in, what's, comes into your mind, your screens will be happy to tell you what to do, what to think, how to feel, and what to want all day, every day of life. And this is the opposite of the kind of discipleship that we want. This is, this is exactly upside down from what we hope to accomplish as a discipleship-focused church. The people who create the content on your screens know the truth we often forget. We become what we think about. As we're reminded by Paul, the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 12.2, which is one of the most powerful, uh, mind-renewing verses in the Bible, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or approve what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is, this is really the secret of a new life, transformational mind renewing. But just like Deuteronomy 6, it's being used against us. The battle for our lives is waged on the battlefield of our minds. And Silicon Valley knows this big time. The world is conforming us to its ideas, unfortunately, so that many Christians are no longer, no longer any different in their thoughts than non-Christians. We live as practical atheists because we're thinking and worrying about and laughing and focusing on what the rest of the world focuses on. And we do that because our minds are being conformed by addiction to our screens. Because the tech industry has exploited us to such a degree that every spare moment must be filled with what they want everyone to focus on. Because here's the thing. Mind renewing works both directions, for good or evil. If our mind is being renewed by those statistics we heard about, by 20, 30, 40, 60 hours a week of constant connection with a virtual world, then our minds are not being renewed towards God, but away from him. In fact, one of the things that compelled me to write my book was this realization that we were losing our ability to think clearly and even to be ourselves, like our whole identity is at stake, which is a heartbreaking thought. If we can't be quiet in our own thoughts or have face-to-face conversations with other people or even spend time praying or reading, reading the word for 30 minutes a day, how can we know who we are? How can we ever hear God or be changed by him? So I know that's a lot to think about. I've laid it on pretty thick because it really is a tsunami of a storm and it affects us all. 
I have a lot of hope to offer you at the end, though. I want you to understand that, that God is not surprised that in 2020, that, uh, that we were going to still need the power of his, of his Holy Spirit. We're still going to need the freedom that Christ paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it's still effective. We have a ton of hope, but we still do need to understand what we're facing. So we're, we're about to get to that hope, but I want to I wanna drill down on, on a couple things first real quick. First of all, I've had some people push back, and they say things like, platforms like social media or video games, they're not all bad. They're just tools. It's all about how you use them. And sure, we do find some good on platforms. There's probably a lot of people joining us online, and we're so grateful that you are. That's awesome. And as it should be. We, and other things, we see grandkid pictures, or we keep up with old friends, or we even watch our church services, right? But I want you to, but the thing you need to understand is this is not the purpose of these platforms, and this is not how they're built uh, for our good. Those little good things are like part of the bait, part of the reasons they pull us in. This is, their real purpose of these platforms is revealed by their business model, how they make their money, how they have conquered the entire planet, the tools that they have, that these tools are tools, but they only have one job. They are to sell us the product. We're the product to the highest bidder. But I want you to understand that it would not have to be this way. It made me think about it. It's just like how our ancestors would not ha- didn't have to use slave labor. Like slavery would not have had to be a thing to manufacture textiles. Or in the Industrial Revolution, they would not have to have used child labor to make those factories work. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to exploit people back in those days. Even today, there are sweatshops. They don't have to do that. But you might wonder, were some good things happened because of those exploitations of people? Like maybe somebody in a sweatshop made something that was donated to a hospital and helped somebody out who didn't have any clothes? Sure. Does that good thing justify the exploitation of people? No, it doesn't. And it's the same thing with our online platforms. The little bit of good that we get out of these platforms does not justify their exploitation of all of us, their manipulation. So like I say, we should, we should as consumers, demand better and make some changes on that front as well. <clears throat> but let me bring it back to the, to the storm that we're facing by focusing back on what Thad did to introduce this, this whole series uh, with this scripture of Matthew 7, 24 through 27. In that scripture, Jesus says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and it slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And its collapse was great. So the key difference between those who survive storms and those who who don't are those who hear Christ's words and act on them. The Greek word for acts on them is the word poeo, which means to either make or manufacture or build or to do something. We are to build our lives on the words of Christ. Our lives are represented in the parable as this building of a house. So the rock we're supposed to build our lives on is Christ and we are building our lives upon him. But here's the interesting thing. The sand which the foolish people build their house upon is very relevant to our days. You know why? Because one of the primary ingredients of sand is silicon. And silicon 
is a primary ingredient in the microchips that power all of our electronic devices and our screens. So silicon is, the, is, is a very sandy foundation to build your life upon. Don't build your life on that silicon sandy foundation, right? So if you look back over the context of the Sermon on the Mount at the words that Jesus asked us to build our lives upon, we find some very relevant teachings to what we're facing today, all focused on changing us from the inside out. We are to recognize, Jesus told us, that bitter anger is the same as murder as far as what our heart, where our hearts are concerned. The same thing's going on if we are angry and hatefully angry at people. We're to understand that lusting after others is the same as committing adultery in our hearts. And we're also to understand that a desire for vengeance is the same, or actually the desire for vengeance is the opposite of that self-sacrificial love that Christ wants us to have for others, even our enemies. But, of course, what do most online platforms, as we read from Hastings' quote, uh, what are they optimized for? They're optimized to fire up bitter anger. They're optimized with overflowing temptations to lust. And they divide us into groups that seek vengeance on each other on a regular basis, don't they? And this hurricane of media is really destroying many of us, as the parable said. We can see that Jesus' call in just a few verses before the storm parable, where he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. This verse tells us that we should expect the way of Christ to be very different from what most other people are doing. We should expect to be like a salmon going upstream, where, um, where we're against that broad torrent of the river seeking that spawning ground, that narrow channel where we're called by God to bear fruit. We should expect that. Okay, what do we do then? What does this all look like in relation to screen addiction? Do I have to become Amish? Maybe. Well, maybe not. Or do I have to run over all my family's mobile devices with the car, as, as tempting as that might be sometimes? No, not necessarily. But first of all, I just want to encourage you and let you know that if all this is kind of new or if you haven't really thought about this or if there's some of this that's causing some uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable feelings because of what you're hearing, I want you to know that you are not alone. We're all in this. If you sense these problems are caused, you kind of have uh, this tsunami of screens is going on in your life, I want you to know that there is tremendous hope by the power of God's spirit to help you. The best thing that I have to offer you is my book. It was a multi-year labor of love, as Thad said, definitely thousands and thousands of hours, where I share much more detail about what's happening to us, how it all works, and the spiritual forces behind it all. I then help you and your family break free, starting with a very grace-filled evaluation of where you're at right now. The next thing I do is lead you to cast a vision for your life. Because, or maybe remember the vision you used to have before screens took over every spare moment. Because turning away from the things that, that are, we're into is much less about saying no to things and much more about saying a better yes. And that better yes is that vision that you have for your life. You've got to have that vision in order to say no. So that's why my book promises to help you reclaim your thought life, make good decisions, and fulfill your God-given mission. It's really important. From there, I walk you through five biblical practices that will help you because they've, I know they'll help you because they've helped me and many others walk in more freedom than we've ever known. It has, 
it's, it's really just classic spiritual disciplines that have been taught for thousands of years, but they're focused with practical helps on where we're at today in the modern age with screens. I'm going to give you a quick overview of them right now. They're in the handout if you have them, and my book goes into much more detail. There's like one chapter per, per biblical practice. So the first practice is this, surrender to Christ as King and Lord. Jesus is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God right this minute. And that's the reality of our situation right now. And given that, our response to that is unconditional surrender and allegiance to him as king. And so if we're allegiant to Christ as king and fully surrendered, where the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it, as Psalm 24.1 says, then we belong to God and nothing is our own. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if this is who I am, this is what surrender looks like, then I don't talk about my right to do what I want anymore because what I want may have been manipulated by our screens. We may be wanting to do stuff that God doesn't want us to do uh, because of being manipulated, right? So the kind of surrender actually leads us to more freedom than we've ever known. So we, so we surrender the right to be like everybody else, to watch what they watch, to give our kids the same tech that they give their kids, or to become angry or afraid about what everybody else is. So with that foundation of surrender, the next thing we do is to ask God for wisdom about what we need to turn away from and what we need to remove from our lives. We come with an openness to do whatever God wants us to do, even if that means being a lot more countercultural than anybody else you might know. From there, we pursue transformational mind renewing, Romans 12, 2. We get transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I show you how to, how to uh, apply scripture, how to work on memorization and other techniques to learn to think the way God wants us to think. And it's an amazing thing when your mind is being transformed. The next one is we look at our habits and we work to replace bad habits that we formed with good ones. Because you know what? Big tech has optimized habit forming. They know that they know exactly how to make us think, well, oh no, I'm bored. I better pick up my phone and see what's happening on Instagram. That, that interaction, the reason that happens is because they have programmed us with that habit. And so we've got to replace that habit with better habits. And in that, in that chapter, I, I walk through how to do that. Finally, I show how to pursue your God-given purpose. The, and, how, and help you understand how important it is that you do. We think about like how many future Mozarts or Einsteins or you know, all these different people that are, or, or even the future person who helps that person just down the street are being held back because of what's going on on some screen. They can't see the needs that are around them that only they can meet. And so I really encourage people to find that God-given purpose and to live it out. Because you know what? There is freedom from screen addiction. And it's a place of peace and passion and positivity and fruitfulness. Now, it may be a really big ship to turn. And it, may, it, may, it won't happen overnight. And that's why it takes, um, that's why it takes uh, these practices to be adopted in your life over a period of time. Because if we're going to be the kind of a church that fulfills the mission that, that Thad laid out in January, where we are helping people know Jesus and become like him, we've got to break free. We've got to live in that freedom so that we can help other people break free. And I want that for all of us. And to do that, what we're going to be doing is offering my book in the lobby. We're going to be giving it away for a donation of any amount to, to um, Real Life's Benevolence Ministry. 
So if you want to give a donation of a dollar or $10 or $1,000 or whatever, you can pick up a book or two if you'll read them. Don't pick up a book if you're not going to read it, but if, do pick up a book if you'll read it, and I promise you, it'll help you. For those of you who are joining us online, we're really grateful that you are. We have reduced the price of the book online so that you can get it there as a book or an ebook, or there's even an audio book that I'm kind of proud of as well. So um, if, you, if you would rather listen to it as an audio book, uh, there's some fun uh, surprises in there uh, that I had fun making that. So, um, so yeah, we've, we've discounted it there as well if, you, if you'd like that. So here's the thing. Being countercultural with screens is really hard. It really is the narrow way. It's really that upstream path. So one of the ways that can really help you is if you will not do it by yourself. Like join up with a group of other people who are willing to, in, to start this journey with you. And to that end, I would love to facilitate a book group or two. And so if you're interested in joining a book group, walking through this with other people who are wanting to figure this out... Um, Write down on your card or send me an email at Doug at thatdougsmith.com. You can come up to the booth um, in, uh, and um, pick up a, a bookmark. It's got my contact information on it. Um, oh, I forgot to mention the book for the online people, unintentionalbook.com. Unintentionalbook.com is where you will find uh, the, uh, the online versions of, of the book and all the formats that it's available. So I really, really appreciate you listening and considering these things. It was a heavy subject for Valentine's Day. I totally get that. Um, But it's a lot. It's really important. This is the battle for our age. It is the battle of our hearts and minds. And so I really hope that you're encouraged, that you're not alone, and that there is hope. And I'd love to offer that. And I would really, really love the opportunity to walk with you to wherever God would have you to lead you through that. So let's close in prayer. Ask for God's wisdom and help as we do that. Lord, again, thank you for my friends that are here who, have, who are living this out with me. Lord, we're living through this tsunami of screens and we are nothing without you. Again, Lord, we are totally dependent on your Holy Spirit to set us free. And so I do ask you, Lord, for every family represented here, especially if there's those that are uncomfortable, who have felt like, wow, this really hits me. This is really a problem in my family. Um, I pray for them. I pray that they'll find grace and help in time of need at your feet. I pray that you will give them power and inspiration. I pray that you'll help there to be a lot of grace-filled conversations around dinner tables today. And Lord, I pray that you will do a work in setting us all free in Christ Jesus for the mission you've called us to. Lord, I also thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. And as we turn into communion right now, um, I want to think about and remember what you did for us on the cross to set us free, not only for this life, but for eternal life. And so, Lord, we are, we are so grateful for what you've done, and we invite you, Lord, to be present with us as we remember the gift that you gave us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.